Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gotta tell you about the relief and recovery creams from Escape Artists. It's the highest order topical brand in Colorado that prioritizes quality and consistency. Escape Artists produces these creams that help penetrate for deep muscle tissue discomfort that's fast absorbing. Plus, they're not greasy and they're not going to stain your clothes or your sheets. And the best part about it is you can find it at your local Lightshade dispensary. There's 10 in the Denver metro area, soon to be 11. And Lightshade has a premium selection of cannabis concentrates, top shelf flour, edibles, tinctures, accessories, and more. And now, podcast listeners can get 25% off non-sale items with code DNVR. Shop online at lightshade.com for pickup or visit a Lightshade location near you. That's your first pitch. Now let's play ball. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. StravaCraftCoffee.com is now giving you 25% off your first purchase with code DNVR25. If you need that CBD and CBG rich coffee where it's going to help where it's going to help with your chronic headaches, joint pains, you're not going to get those coffee jitters if you want three or four cups a day. That's Strava Craft Coffee. Use promo code DNVR25. I am your host, Patrick Lyons, and joining me today, very special guest and a very special conversation that may take some time. We're going to dive into 25 or so changes to the future of Major League Baseball that we could see over the course of the next 25 years. When I think of someone who's got their head in the game and thinks about revolutionizing what's going on and can see the changes that are happening. I had to have my man on from Purple Row. It's Justin Wick. Thanks for joining me today, Justin. Man, that's the most like flattering I've ever gotten, opening the door for somebody right there, man. Thank you, brother. <laughs> One of the things that we should probably start from, because it, it'll go off the rails eventually, but it, not so far off the rails that we can't actually see these things happening in 25 years, right? We know the game not only is changing, but it needs to change. And we know that a change that happens today can impact things down the line, the domino effect, the butterfly effect, whatever it may be, certain things are going to happen. And, and right now, Major League Baseball has been trying to do some of those things in the minor leagues. We've, we've even seen it really during the pandemic season in 2020 with the California tiebreaker with the runner on second base in extra innings. Let's just start with that one. How have you embraced this or what what is your thought after seeing it now for some time? I don't know how you originally felt about it, Justin, but now after seeing it in action for the last two seasons, is this something that will stick around and, and do you think that all sides benefit from it? You know, I probably need to come clean with some bias before I clarify this. Me being like a very primary relief pitcher, when I was put in those situations, I <laughs> loved it. Because it was an unearned run standing out there on second base. If he scored, it was supposed to score. Like, they put him out there. There's nobody on base. You got a runner in scoring. Or I'm sorry. Guy on second. Nobody out. Runner in scoring position. He's supposed to score. So, I always viewed it as this is a great challenge. If you can come up really big for your team, you can make a huge moment come together. And even if he scores, it's an unearned run. It doesn't even matter. I shouldn't say it doesn't matter, but... Statistically speaking, it wasn't a big impact, and I loved that, especially realizing that it was given a lot of opportunity to relief pitchers to just come in and be the guy. So with all that being said, I tend to take a different view on this, and it's probably a little less traditional, but I think it's still twisted to be traditional in that these games do need to end, and they need to end a little bit quicker. We, you don't necessarily play for today when you're playing baseball. If it's a 10-2 ball game, 
you need a reliever to come in there that eats up a big chunk of innings that's going to preserve your team for the next day. And, you know, even if there is a huge blowout situation, you just need somebody to be able to eat up a chunk of a ball game so you can continue playing and you don't have to tap into your pitching reserve. So I think that it was good momentum being able to look at this. And for, I guess, I'll come out and say it. I like the rule change. I know that's going to be a huge thing that people probably don't like me for saying necessarily. But recognizing just the luxuries that this is giving to pitching staffs, it is implemented to preserve arms. It's implemented to make sure that you don't have to go into a next day with a 16-game matchup right behind you. And I think it just makes for more competitive baseball in the long run. And not to mention, it makes for pretty exciting situations when you get this right off the bat. So I would go as far as saying I don't necessarily think it's ideal for that because more often than not, you're seeing just teams exchange one run. A lot of times, if you're at the bottom of the order, you'll see somebody bunt it over, and then it's pretty easy from there to be able to get something rolling. I don't think it's as good of an ending like situation. I don't think it ends the game quick enough, which I would propose there's a lot of different solutions that you might come together, but at what point do you start blurring the lines between what is actual baseball and what is like kind of a preposterous way to end a baseball game? So there's, I don't know what the best option is. I understand that this is something that was put together that is, I guess for the time being, it's a temporary solution. I guess we want to consider it that way, but I do think Major League Baseball is moving in the right direction with it, and I'm hopeful to see if there is any further changes that it's going to be meant for the betterment of the game as we know it at this point. We do have some options that we'll get to later on in this or the next episode about extra innings and, and what that could look like. But I was in favor of this originally. I, I didn't know how it was going to work, how it was going to play out when it was originally announced in 2020, but maybe – Maybe it's too naive of me. I don't know, but I, I trusted that MLB has has seen this in action. I'm, I'm sure they've, you know, scoured over a, a couple hours. I would have hoped of of clips and, and data in leagues that have actually used this and and known that hey, you know what, this is going to speed up the end of the game, in not a, a crazy unfair fashion. Like no team has an advantage over another. Sure, yeah, if you have a faster runner down on second base, it could ensure that you're going to score even if you're at the bottom of your lineup. But again, that's, that's all situational. You can't plan for that ahead of time. So that's really besides the point. Uh, and, and maybe there's some managers out there that have figured out a way to game the <laughs> system in that way. And if they have great, but I think we all know that it, it is fair. It, it, it is balanced in that capacity. And so most importantly, as you touched on this idea of keeping players healthier and not putting unneeded stress on pitchers arms and not having position players pitching which is something again we'll get to that in a moment but it's something <laughs> that baseball's almost tried to crack down on because i think certainly for more of, the, more of the old school fan seeing a position player pitching it means you're waving the white flag to give up and that's that's not competitive baseball right that's that's not the baseball that we know and love so i think it's done a good job to tick off all those boxes and that's one of those rules that unlike the Universal DH, which I think benefits the players association more than the owners. Now, it, it improves the overall play of game and improves the quality. You can make the case that the players association in regards to this lockout and regards to the negotiation of the CBA benefit more from the Universal DH because now there are 15 more teams that can have an older player, a slugger, and a guy who maybe doesn't have a position in the field defensively. And so that's going to benefit the players more so than the owners. It's going to benefit the game entirely because it'll, it'll just make it a lot more enjoyable <laughs> you know, than seeing these, these pitchers at the plate. But I could see, and I, the owners have, are already doing that. That's why we didn't have the universal DH in 2021 was to remind the players that, no, this isn't, this isn't something we want to give you. Uh, you can have it, but we're going to want something in exchange and the California tiebreaker with the runner on second base doesn't help or necessarily hurt anyone. I, I think it improves the quality of the game. It might even help the teams slightly in some capacity, at least if, if as far as, you know, they, they pay stadium employees, things of that nature. But I think it's uh, it's a pretty even split as far as the benefit. 
is concerned. You know, you bring up a very good point, especially recognizing the different layers that go into this. And especially with a lot of these different rule changes, there's somebody that's going to kind of be on the losing side of this and somebody that's very much going to be on the winning side, like you mentioned with the universal DH. So it's interesting to me, and I mean, I don't want to take this too far off the rails by any means, but one of my favorite books that I've ever read, it was Bill James, The Historical Baseball Abstract. And within this book, he started talking about, you know, rule changes through the history of the game and comparing it to other sports. And he brought up the National Basketball Association before they had the shot clock. You know, people would be sitting on the basketball as a diversion to kill the clock or things like this. It was just ridiculous. And he put in there talking about, you know, the shot clock wasn't meant to necessarily change the game. It was just meant to get people back to playing basketball, like just playing it the way that it was meant to be played. And I think that's very much the honorable way of looking at it. And in this book, I want to give him the credit. So this isn't my original idea. But, you know, for some reason, we just interpret baseball to be made by the gods because it's as old as it is. Like, it was a bunch of dudes getting together, having a beer in the 1800s, just coming up with a game at this point. And I realize, you know, it stood the test of time. It's lasted a lot longer than pretty much any other sport. But I think there's this huge misinterpretation that because it is so much older, we have to keep it so pure. And we can't necessarily make the changes just because we view it that we need to preserve it as opposed to changing it. But I think that by changing it, in a lot of instances, you are preserving it because we're just trying to get it back to what it's always been at this point. So, you know, you mentioned all the different layers. It gets really murky when you bring in the Players Association, when you bring in the owners, when you recognize all the different layers that go into it and somebody's going to be a winner and somebody's going to be a loser. And especially this is very relevant with the lockout. It's tough to recognize how much are we really getting back to the pure side of the game when everybody's trying to get what they want and it might be at the expense of the game itself. So that's something that I realize that doesn't necessarily pose a solution, but I guess as just a general umbrella of things. That's something I've recognized. And I'm hopeful that, you know, player and owner negotiations will really come together just for the betterment of the game as a whole. I realize it's not that simple, but, you know, I figure we can all be optimistic for it. I guess that's the main premise behind these ultimate rule changes. Baseball hasn't undergone major changes in, in how the game was played really in about 50 years. You know, 1969, with the mound was lowered, and yes, the mound was lowered uh, after the 1968 <laughs> year pitcher had, had Bob a double. Bob Gibson, there you go. Check. Oh, yeah, Gibby. And, and then 1973, four years later, they go ahead and, and add the designated hitter. And so we really haven't seen many wholesale changes like this with the extra inning rule we're also seeing in the minors larger bases which i i think you know that that's something that i don't, I don't necessarily understand the the benefits to that i know down in the arizona fall league they had the bigger bases and i was surprised how much larger it actually ends up becoming when you put it next to another base but if there's you know some data or even just communicating with the ball players that it makes it a little bit safer, right? It allows that, that double play at second base to reduce for collisions and, and allows more surface area for the shortstop or second baseman to touch second base there at the front end of the double play or for the first baseman's ankle to just be further away from the bag. That also works pretty well in regards to safety. And so that, that, works out fine. I, I've got no problem with that one. And you, I know you had a suggestion too for something in regards to bases that helps keep the game a lot safer. We, we saw it with the Buster Posey rule at home plate to cut out collisions. I don't really hear anybody complaining about that one since then, right? Because it's, hey, that was an interesting <laughs> time when you could just totally plow the catcher in that capacity. We don't have it anymore. Is the game worse off for it? No. And, and so I don't think the game's going to be worse off with your suggestion, which I think some people have seen before. And again, it is effective for helping the safety of all ball players. Yes. You know, what a world we lived in, first of all, when it was appropriate to just plow a catcher over, man. What happened? What happened to this game right here? <laughs> for the better, it's gone, of course. But no, I like what you bring up. And especially, you know, in the Arizona Fall League, um, when I was working the league this past fall, I remember when they first brought in the bases and I saw the initial shipment to the league office. You know, it looked like a glorified pizza box in the kind of, I mean, it wasn't that big by any means, but that was the running joke as far as how we were looking at it. And it was something that, you know, I remember the players took the field for the first game and they were looking at the bags and they were going, it's a little bit different. Some of them had already seen it in their respective minor league affiliates. But from the second game onward, I didn't notice anybody said a word about them. 
like the only time I ever really heard somebody say it was like a new media personnel coming in and asking me a question. And then I'd be like, I, I don't know. They're just playing and nobody said anything since day one at this point. So I guess the suggestion that I would think, you know, again, getting back to just playing pure baseball, you're not trying to foster injuries. You're trying to keep it clean. You're trying to keep the base pass clean. I think that's definitely the reason that major league baseball has looked into it. But I guess my suggestion, and if we want to take it to the old man softball ranks at this point, um, if you go to like a community park, you'll take a look, you'll see a standard first base, just exact standard placement to the way it is. And then to the right of the base itself in foul territory, sometimes you'll see like an orange base. or you'll see like a double base. Like you're going to have to, you're going to have to really be a diehard like baseball slash softball fan to go to a men's league game and see this and slow pitch. But I've noticed, especially, you know, they're trying to avoid any potential collisions. The last thing you want to do is have somebody get hurt in a very low leverage, just community park type of setting. So you will see these like quote unquote double bases. So you'll have standard first base and immediately to the right of the base in foul territory is another one. And I know this has kind of been preliminarily suggested. I think it would look kind of silly, admittedly so. And if you have a screamer down the line that hits off a bag, you're going to have to have a whole lot of umpire selection at this point. But, you know, especially something that I've thought of, if you show up and you see the grounds crew go through a standard protocol, they're going to spray the running lane. So they'll do the standard jock down the right field line. And then the running lane is going to be just a couple feet. They'll paint another line from about halfway between home plate and the pitcher's mound. And that's supposed to be what the runner, the base runner, the hitter, as he's going down to first base, this is what you run into. And yet you go back into fair territory and touch first base anyways. So, you know, any track and field enthusiast is going to be looking. Usain Bolt is not going to go over into lane four from lane five type of thing. That's something that I always thought was kind of silly to me. So this double base concept, you know, have one in the running lane itself, have another one. So there's going to be zero interference on a ground ball. First baseman's safe. The base runner's okay. And, you know, I think the only reason it hasn't been implemented yet is just because it would look downright silly, but everything looks weird the first time it's tried and you never know until it's tried. So that's part of the reason I really like these rule change discussions is because it's going to take some kind of a pioneering effort. I imagine you would see something like this implemented in the minor leagues to get started, of course, but I really can't think of any other downside other than it would look weird. And if that's the only downside, I really don't know why it hasn't been put together yet. This would only be at first base, so it would be at second or third or, or home or any, you know, because you know how the collisions can, can happen on those bang-bang plays over at first. But what you could do, too, because immediately the mind goes, here's why it's not going to work. There's a million reasons it will work, and there might only be a handful of why it might not work. And one thing you say is, well, what about if a guy hits a double? You know, he has to touch this base now in foul territory, they might there could be a wrinkle within the rules to suggest no, you can, you know, touch the inside there. You know, is there a penalty? What what would that advantage be if you, you know, touch the the, the wrong base? You know, again, that that's not going to happen because it's going to be obvious which base you're supposed to touch in which situation. But if you hit one to the gap in left center field, you know, you can touch the one that's in fair territory. You know, I don't don't know the specifics of of how that would work, but again. We can work it out. We, we can work those things out. Listen up, fam. Got to thank everyone who's been coming out to all of our Nuggets and Avs watch parties, as well as Rams, Buffs. You guys have been tearing it up. You've been enjoying that college football. We appreciate you coming down to the DNVR bar on the corner of Colfax in York, especially when you come down, even when there's, there's not a watch party. When you come from 3 to 6 p.m. for drink specials and appetizer discounts during our happy hour, you do know that with your membership, you do get a bigger beer. That in and of itself very much pays for the membership. If you want to try it out, it's 50 cents for your first month. If you already know what we provide as far as coverage from the Avs, Nugs, Broncos, as well as myself doing the Rockies, even rugby with guys like Colton Strickler. Well, guess what? Your annual membership gets you a free t-shirt from the DNVR Locker. You can check that out at dnvrlocker.com. With your membership, you also get access to that members-only Discord. We have direct access to all of the personalities and the other members, so you can meet some new folks that have those similar interests like yourself. We've got groups for pro wrestling, skiing, hiking, even Formula One racing. Whatever you're interested in, there's a place for you to go and have that conversation 
with another like-minded person in the Rocky Mountain region. That official beer of the DNVR bar and DNVR itself is Breckenridge Brewery. So that's the Avalanche Ale, the Strawberry Sky, Vanilla Porter Jr. All of those are on tap at the DNVR bar. We also have their good company, Hard Seltzer. And when you're at the DNVR bar, you know that we've got Breckenridge Brewery flowing, Avalanche Ale, Strawberry Sky, Vanilla Porter Jr. And particularly, it's that Avalanche Ale, that classic American amber blend of pale chocolate and caramel malts and a well-rounded, flavorful beer. Their caramel malts lend whispers of toffee sweetness, while a touch of bittering hops gives the beer a very clean finish. It's crafted for balance. Avalanche is a versatile and satisfying anytime beer. I shouldn't have to sell you on. If you've had one, you know what your taste buds are telling you and how delicious it can be. We also have their hard seltzers as well at the DNVR bar. You can pick up your 15 can sampler at Costco, King Supers, anywhere like that. But the Avalanche Ale right now is really in peak form. Make sure you pick some of those up when you're down at King Supers as well. So many people loving their sexy pizza, especially after their discount that they received a couple weeks back with code DNVR. We've got them at all of our tailgates. And so definitely you got an up close and personal opportunity to really see what they are doing at their numerous Colorado locations. There's four in particular in the Denver area, Capitol Hill, Old South Pearl, Jefferson, and Park Hill. The one down in Trinidad, Colorado is rocking and rolling. But for those that don't know, Sexy Pizza is as local as it gets. It's hand-tossed deck oven pizza with made-from-scratch each morning dough. They've got a wide variety of toppings, like any good pizza place. But the best part, I think, is that they donate to a range of different nonprofits right here in Colorado. So if you're looking to have Sexy Pizza support your organization or event, go to www.sexy.pizza and check out their About page for the donations link to see how Sexy Pizza can help support your cause. Another thing we're, we're seeing, this is something that you'd have good firsthand experience of, is stepping off for pickoffs which is something that I could see maybe not sticking around, right? I, I understand why Major League Baseball is, is tinkering with this in the minors to speed up the, the probability or the possibility of runners taking an extra base and getting better leads. And again, just, just keeping the carousel moving around the bases and getting more action. So that makes sense. But going forward, if some of these other suggestions that we might have and other little wrinkles that work out, you might not necessarily need to have the step off for the pickoff. What has been your take on that so far? Yes. You know, I think it's interesting, especially recognizing just the value of a stolen base. And I mean, anybody familiar with Moneyball, I think it was, was Brad Pitt's character saying, I pay you to get on first, not get thrown out at second type of thing. And I don't have any sure. material like support for this, but like sabermetric data will suggest that a stolen base isn't worth as much as it truly suggests. Like there's not a huge difference between if you did or the risk isn't versus isn't worth the reward type of thing. Correct. And I've thought as far as, you know, that really de-emphasizes the value of a stolen base. And for that very good reason, I feel like there needs to be something that, you know, this is a huge part of the game. It's a big momentum swing. It's something that can, essentially be prioritized and a comprehensive pitcher is somebody that knows how to control the running game how to regulate these big situations and you know the biggest situations of a game are the ones with traffic on the base path and i think that by making that a bigger part of what we're looking for you know that's an exciting thing and especially recognizing you know how hard it is to put the ball in play right now we're seeing unbelievable amounts of the three true outcomes walks hit by pitches home runs strikeouts are at an all-time high and, you know, people want to see the ball in play because you want to see everybody moving. That's kind of the excitement of what a casual fan is looking for. And if we can't fix it at the plate, I would go as far as to suggest that we should fix it on the base paths because maybe it doesn't require contact to put people in motion. And I think that could be something that a lot of casual fans could really fall back on towards a big point of excitement. So I'm thinking if you regulate, if you try to kind of control what the freedom is for pickoff moves, I know right-handers and this was only just a couple years ago you were allowed to do a step off to third base and then pick off to first on like a, the classic 31 move i guess i've never really tried to like describe what that is i've just referred to it as the 31 move <laughs> it's like a standard leg lift where you'll step towards third but then you'll back pick it towards first type of thing and major league baseball actually outlawed that a few years ago 
So it got me thinking in terms of, you know, how far else are we going to take this? Is there any control for this? Technically speaking, you know, I guess you could go as far as arguing a, a left-hander. It's not necessarily fair that they can just do the Mark Burley step towards first base at a 45 degree angle. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that's fair as much as my left-handed genes are going to fight me for saying that. But I think that there needs to be a degree of control for this. And especially if you can make it a better running environment, I think that's going to be better for the game, especially if hitting is just going to be so difficult and the three true outcomes are going to continue. You know, if you're a fan of it, good. If you're not a fan of it, you're definitely going to really try to prioritize stolen bases and, I think there's a lot more freedoms that can be put together just by tweaking some basic pickoff moves. So again, it's going to require more comprehensive pitching. You're not going to have to be able to rely on a 102 mile an hour fastball as much when you recognize that you're going to have to actually control some runners. And I think it would actually be better for the game. You're going to need more complete players. You're going to see some things start to get prioritized a little bit differently. And, you know, you're going to see a lot more pitchers as opposed to throwers out there. And I think there's a lot of good that could come out of that. Even with the larger bases, that means now, even if the runner on first base is just standing on the edge of the first base bag, they're now already a couple inches closer to second. And now second base itself is closer to first base. So that helps out in that. And something that we'll get to later on in this episode, if, you know, if you've ever seen Ryan Weathers, there was recently an article up on Fangraphs. Give them some shout out. They do obviously amazing work at Fangraphs.com. But Ryan Weathers has a fantastic pickoff move. Uh, young left-handed rookie for the Padres, and Eric Hosmer is is the right man for the job for a specific reason that we'll get to here in a little bit. There's an edge that Hosmer has that Rockies first baseman C.J. Crone doesn't have, and we might have figured out a way that you know guys like Crone or future ball players could have that edge as we get moving along. Last thing that the, is being tinkered with, one of the bigger ones, is a pitch clock. I think this is absolutely going to be on its way. When I think about when we really started to conceptualize this episode, you thought about what baseball would look like in 25 years. There could be a clock out there that people going to ball games don't even notice. It's just now it becomes an, eventually becomes an eternal clock. Right, and maybe there isn't a literal clock counting it down because you just know you you did it when you were a kid playing ball, and and it was done there at that level, and so you know when you get the ball, your job is to try to throw it and and, and pitch it almost as soon as possible, right? Not literally, but almost as soon as possible. And so I think the pitch clock is going to be a great way to keep the game moving, and in turn, you know that could lead to the batter not having that ability to step out. Right, because if they're playing off of each other, they're playing cat and mouse. But the cat and mice aren't, you know, one's not running away and the other one's chasing it. They're both just staring at each other. There's no action happening between this cat and this mouse. And we need that action. We need the pitch. We need the ball put in play. Keep the pitch clock. Get it going. There's no problems with it whatsoever. I think that's a fantastic rule that we haven't seen it yet in the big league level, but I think we're going to here very soon. Probably 2023. I, that's that's my yeah. I think you're exactly right. And I think that, you know, I like your concept as far as, you know, it's just an internal thing in a perfect world that governs itself and it's not a big deal. And I don't want to take this too far as far as putting too many different ideas together on this. But, you know, looking through, I guess, my own experience as a player, um, dating, I would be playing club ball in the summertime in high school and the catchers are allowed to call the pitches in those situations. You're helping develop the catchers. When I got to college, everywhere that I played in the springtime anyways, all of the affiliated school ball that I was playing in college, the head coach was or the pitching coach was calling the pitches. And it was just killer for momentum of a pitcher going, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for them to put three fingers up in a sequence to have the catcher look at the wristband to figure out decoding what it is to give me the sign. And then, of course, you could never shake off anyways because you can't shake off your coach type of thing. So it was just, it was like painstakingly, it took forever. And I would probably think of it in this term as far as, you know, when that's being developed in the amateur ranks of the game, it's only going to spiral out of control at the upper ranks of the game. And at the same time, I think that you need to prioritize developing your catchers in the college game because they can see things at the plate that you can't see in the dugout. So I think that there's a lot of kind of reform that really might need to get into the, it, it. It's really getting into the way as far as the reason that it isn't an internal clock at this point in time. And I think that's part of the reason that, you know, 
I feel like you need to address pace of play in the early stages and in the collegiate stages of the game just to make sure that it's regulating itself type of thing. So one thing as far as when it was implemented, and I know in the Arizona Fall League when they were testing it out, they had the full clock that was counting down right behind home plate in beyond center field. The clock would get down to about three or two seconds, and then a pitcher would just step off and reset it. So the catcher would notice that the clock was ticking down they would just tell them to step off and then the clock would reset itself type of thing. And, you know, maybe you had a bug fly in your eye. You don't need to pitch in that situation. Maybe you had a hypothetical bug fly in your eye and you needed to hit the reset button. So that's something I think that there's a lot of loopholes that are going into the current configuration. And, you know, for the same reason, you're going to start seeing people talk about maybe they proverbially tweak something in their arm just so they can reset the pitch clock. And there's just, of course, this is all fictitiously. Maybe they're just going to make something up in terms to be able to reset the clock. So the point being, I think there's way too many ways for this just to kind of not work because people are going to try to find a way to work their way around it. Just like you tried to sell a double play when you know you didn't get a guy, but pre-replay, if you were able to convince somebody, you know, it was like a Broadway musical if you're able to pop a tag that you never popped before replay was. So we're back in this phase as far as how is it going to govern itself Again, basketball, the shot clock is ticking down. It doesn't matter whether or not you do it or don't. I don't know if that's necessarily fair when you're talking about, you know, how like much kind of a like meticulous placement is with baseball. It's a lot more fine movement type of thing. But I think that there is a solution in play. I think that it's going to take a lot of just morale and a lot of motivation from the players itself. But at the same time, you know, if we're really trying to get the pace of play going, and I'll speak on behalf of my own playing career of, you know, over 100 games in a season, sometimes you're getting to the ballpark and you're going, let's just get a quick one under our belt at this point in time. And so it was, I remember jokingly when I was playing summer ball, we would sometimes name the pace of play player of the game. Who is it that put up there? They got up, they saw one or two at bat, they wanted one or two pitches per at bat. They were rolling the game along, they made the plays that they needed to. And, you know, not that that's indicative of good performance. You know, I'm not any kids that are out there tuning in. Please do not try to be that person, of course. You know, play your game, do your thing. But I think that there's a big motivation as far as, you know, people in general, especially in the upper levels when you're playing every single day, I think there's a motivation to move the game along. So I'm optimistic that there is an opportunity that's going to govern itself. And I'm also optimistic that one day college baseball, they're going to force the catchers to call the game as well. And I don't know if that's going to be the biggest hindrance toward the game clock at the amateur levels, but I do think a solution exists for all levels. And at this point, it's just up to people to make it happen. Don't worry, Justin. We do have a big demographic in the 8 to 12 years old baseball players. Uh, <laughs> but well, you, you had your disclaimer, so that works out. It, <laughs> I, I think there's a way, too. You know, look, if you have so many step-offs to reset the clock before – hey, unfortunately, a ball is going to be called against the batter, right? Like, uh, we know the situation uh, in Cleveland with with the midges back in, you know, I'm not sure what year that was, let's say 2013, something like that, with Java Chamberlain. It might have even been earlier, come to think of it. But those are a few and far between. If something does get in your eye or it's dusty, whatever may be, fine. But at a certain point, look, it's, it's a little bit windy. Something got in your eye for the second or third time, this batter or this inning. Well, a ball is going to be called against the hitter. It's not the end of the world. You, you can continue to go on. It's similar to, you know, I'm not an NFL or, or football historian, but I imagine at one point the, the play clock was instituted for this exact reason, that quarterbacks looking over at their coach, they're talking about what play they should go back and forth. You know, the, the offensive coordinator and the head coach are arguing back and forth, and a minute ticks off while everyone's in the huddle. Defense is on the line, ready to go. But, hey, look, the guys with the ball, they're, they're not ready to, to call the play just yet. So you know what? Even if the clock is stopped, there's still a play clock saying you need to do something. You need to get this ball off the line of scrimmage to move it forward. We need that action. The folks at Green Mountain Dental Group deserve to take some credit for those smiling Colorado sports fans around town, especially those of our DNVR listeners who've switched to Green Mountain Dental Group over the years to make them their permanent family dentist. It's what Ali Monroy did. We know Lindsay Sauer was someone. They both got their wisdom teeth pulled and they went to Green Mountain Dental Group and they were taken care of. Absolutely fantastic because guess what? Green Mountain Dental Group are also extreme Colorado sports fans just like all of us. And now when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you're going to receive a free Sonic Care toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group 
located only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. The NFL playoffs are here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is kicking things off with a huge offer. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any wildcard team to win their game. Bet just $5 and win $280 in free bets if your team is victorious. All customers can also get in on DraftKings Hammer the Over promotion. For every 5,000 bettors who take the over for Saturday night's Buffalo versus New England game, the point total will lower by half a point. Hammer the Over has hit zero every time DraftKings has run it, so it means bettors won when the first point was scored. It's that simple. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 free bets if your team wins. That's it. That's promo code DNVR this wildcard weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We are now at the point in which we've covered pretty much all of the rules that we know that are on their way. Now, Justin, here's where we get to have fun. Here's where... <laughs> it gets to be a little bit crazy. And I say that and here, the first thing in my notes isn't that crazy. I'm going to skip it, but it's, we both had it in our notes. I have it as one thing. You have it as something different. I think they could work together. I'll, I'll say my end first. It's something called the double hook, which I know has been instituted in some independent leagues. It's not a good idea at all. It's, but <laughs> I'll explain it to you in case you hear it. The double hook is, well, it has the initials DH, double hook, and it's tied to the DH. So basically, when your starting pitcher is removed from the game, so is your DH, which now means that if your reliever is coming in to pitch, then now he's hitting fourth or fifth in the lineup, wherever your DH is positioned in the lineup. Essentially, the idea would be, hey, you know, don't, don't have an opener. Don't have a guy just throw the first inning because you're going to lose your DH. Or, hey, keep your pitcher out there as long as you can. So you can get one more at bat of that designated hitter. You might be coming up in the bottom of the inning. And yeah, that works works out on paper, but I think it just discourages from the top players to be in the game or to, again, things can happen in a game where a guy doesn't have it. He can't get out of the first inning, even if you've let him give up eight runs, right? We saw Herman Marquez have something like that this year already. And that's not because Bud Black couldn't wait to get to his bullpen. No, it was just because, look, his starter did not have it that day. And to lose the designated hitter doesn't necessarily make for a better product altogether. So the double hook, I, I don't care to ever see it. But what you could do that almost ticks off both boxes is just remove the designated hitter altogether. Just remove the hitter spot altogether. Justin, this was your idea. Let the people know, you know, this is outside the box. I don't know that this will happen because, again, you, you want to see the DH, right? You, you want to keep those jobs. We talked about the Players Association versus the union and who benefits. The players would be losing a lot with this idea, but it's not a bad one as far as keeping the game moving along. And, look, the game that you're playing is the game that you're playing. You're not trying to gain any edge or try to uh, work yourself out of any jams. It's, it's a novel idea that we certainly could see in other leagues. I'll, I'll say that much at least. Yes, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that this would be very much at the expense of the players. So I don't want to pose this as a great suggestion in terms of taking jobs away. So with that disclaimer, I think it would be a great idea, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with that, with everything, yes. minus the fact that everybody's going to lose a job, you know, this would be, but <laughs> no, I thought in, in terms of, if you show up to an Angel game, I mean, you, I guess you're showing up to watch Otani now, of course. But, you know, you're showing up to watch Mike Trout play. And if there's a nine-man batting order versus an eight-man batting order, you're not going to see Mike Trout, the guy that you paid good money to show up for. You're not going to see him as much as you want to over the course of the season. So I've thought in terms of, you know, just cut the DH. Like, we've already said that it's not important for a pitcher to bat. And then people are saying it's not pure, that if you have an extra player in the lineup, you know, the purist saying it should be nine players in the field, nine guys in the order. You can't put another, you got an alien player mixing in for the pitcher. How fair is that type of thing? So, you know, I've thought to myself, if the product is simply we're putting the best players on the field, I don't necessarily think that there's a clear rationality in terms of why you should 
ultimately have a DH in there. You know, you've already ruled it obsolete that a pitcher's playing. Well, rule it obsolete that you put a foreign person in there and refine the product, saying if we've got eight guys, these are our eight best players. And I've even looked at lineup construction as far as I know that Mike Socia, when he was with the Angels, he toyed with batting Mike Trout second. And it wasn't so much to take him out of the RBI positions of the heart of the order. It was in case he gets up in the ninth inning, that's going to prioritize. He's got an opportunity to actually come up to the plate again. So you're getting more bang for your buck. You're going to, over the course of a season, you're going to see your leadoff hitter get a lot more at-bats than your nine hitter, for example. So I've thought of this. I've recognized this is just going to make the game better in terms of view, like watchability, if that's the sole purpose, is we're trying to make it better from a fan experience, you're getting more of what you want. And sure, you're not going to necessarily get the fringe players that are going to try to break into the big leagues. You're going to have a more set lineup, I would imagine. I realize there's a lot of downsides as far as the opportunities that it would take away from the players. But if you're trying to just make better, more competitive opportunities, I think there's a really good chance for this. And you know, at the same time, I think that I don't think there's many Rockies fans that didn't want to see more of Trevor Story at the plate, for example. And this would be a clear opportunity to be able to make that happen for a lot of people. So there is one huge asterisk that I have to put next to this. And this is we do have a man named Shohei Otani now playing in the big leagues. If you had an eight man batting order, that would mean that. I guess you would say maybe one of your position players wouldn't have to hit in order to give Otani his at-bats or type of thing. I would suggest give it the option to bat nine. If for whatever reason you still want a nine-man batting order, that would be a nice way to work around this. We don't need to touch on this severely because this is just a very like niche argument type of thing. But I think there's a lot of layers that would go into this. But the general consensus in terms of watching the game, I think that this would have a lot of upside. I don't ever think it's going to get approved. This would require the Players Association to basically just fall off a cliff in trying to concede this. But I think that there's an upside to it. And I think from a fan perspective, there's a lot of cool stuff that could come out of this. Nine hitters in a lineup is, I'm not even going to say traditional. It's just the foundation of baseball. And so you're right. That's why you go, ah, that, there's no way that could happen. But this is the craziest idea that we, we've got, I think. That, that we're going to be talking about. This this might be the, the wildest one. And yet, I think you still could see a scenario in which something like that happens. You know, every spot that you move up a hitter in the order is an extra 15 at-bats. So as you said, the difference between hitting ninth and first, you're getting moved up eight spots in the order, eight times 15, 120 extra at-bats that you are now getting for your leadoff hitter if there's only eight in the lineup. And that's Again, that, that's not an exact science because now every time there's only eight can be in the order. So, again, we're talking about the, the worst hitter on your team versus the best hitter getting at least an extra 120 at-bats during the season. That's a lot more exciting. And so, again, that's one of those changes that baseball needs to at least discuss. And I think that that could make some sense somewhere along the way. We talked about extra innings and with the California tiebreaker. And there's a rule uh, – there's a league, I should say – right here in, in Colorado in the Pioneer League that experimented with it this year. I wrote an article on the dnbr.com, which you can check out for 50 cents for your first month. Annual membership does get you a free t-shirt. But the Pioneer League, and in fact, in Colorado Springs, the Rocky Mountain Vibes, first team to ever win a game because of this, they decided in the 10th inning, partially because they're an independent league and they're really hard up for some arms. In fact, I got a couple texts saying, hey, you got any Got anything on your fastball there? I know you played uh, high school baseball like 20 years ago, but maybe, maybe you can play. They decided in the 10th, well, there wasn't going to be a 10th. It was just going to be a home run derby. It was just going to be a showdown between your best hitter, my best hitter, whoever hits more home runs goes home with the W. It sounds crazy, but we're seeing it in action now, and it's the most exciting play that you can have. It's similar to a penalty kick in soccer or in hockey. It's it's an exciting moment where your eyes are on everything. And so that's an interesting wrinkle that isn't that far-fetched because we do see it in a professional league here in America. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to see a 65-year-old pitching coach be lifted up onto everyone's shoulders because <laughs> he threw the best meatballs down the middle for the home run hitter? We would love to see that. Just serving them up right there. That's what it's all about, man. Just get Buddy Black out there just serving up meatballs and being the hero. And, yeah, force the managers, too. Like, tell them they got to be the ones to do it. There's a lot of layers that you can put into this, man. 
No, that's funny you bring that up as far as I've definitely thought, you know, the modus for this. We have enough independent leagues that they're going to tinker with this. And when I first saw that the Pioneer League was doing this, and I don't mean to bash them when I say this, but I felt like it was kind of, it was their method of trying to gain attention, gain awareness. They have a re-envisioned Pioneer League. As for, they, sure. lost their, they lost their MLB affiliate status last year. We need to get something going. And, you know, I'll be the first to say from an excitement standpoint, this is awesome. This is very cool. I don't think that we'll see this in the big league level just because it's so much different than the actual act of the game. Like in terms of, you know, not to point being Pete Alonso in the home run derby. That's not, that's not baseball. Like, I mean, it is, but it isn't like, it, it's just, it, it isn't baseball. You have a clock, you're taking swings as much as you are. I understand we could water down the home run derby a little bit, but the more I've also thought about this, you know, you can't just end in a tie. And here it is. I'm trying to preach like preserving long-term 162 game seasons, trying to preserve the integrity of the game. Well, if you're trying to preserve long-term, just end it, just end it after nine and call it a tie. If you're trying to preserve the game, play as normal and just play normal innings. Well, no, you got to find a hybrid in between the two of them. And at the same time, the fans want something that's just exciting. They want something that they can get out of their seat for and have something cool coming together. So I would, I, I think it's cool that somebody's trying it out. And for the same reasons of, I will watch a hockey game in overtime, hoping the clock ends because I want to watch a shootout. Well, a shootout isn't exactly hockey either. Let's just be real it's at this one point. one-on-one on one versus team versus team. That's true. That's a good point. And I guess you could argue at the same time a home run derby is in that same kind of sense. So there's a lot of different, I guess, interpretations that you would have. I would suggest maybe something a little bit different in terms of how you could rely on it. But Patrick, my friend, it would be awesome. Let's just call it what it is. It would be so cool. Like this is the reason the Rockies brought on what was Jason Giambi in like 09 or 2010. Like that would have been your guy. And then you're going to start seeing – you know, at the same time, maybe the universal DH comes into play. Maybe you've got Albert Pujols on your team that you know can leave the yard. I think it would inevitably extend some careers of some heavy hitters. At the same time, that's not to say that you're not going to put Pete Alonso in it if you play for the Mets, too, of course. But I think that there is some upside in this. I think you would definitely see, you know, maybe it's a team of three hitters that go out there type of thing. And then you start spreading the wealth and you know, from a team perspective, I can only imagine how good it would feel walking into the clubhouse after a win by home run derby. I think that could bring teams together big time. And I think that's something that should definitely be noted. So, again, a lot of layers into it. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen in the big leagues, but that doesn't make it off. That does not make it not awesome. Like this would have, this would be incredible. And I mean, I think I would be the first to say I would be a big fan of this. If we didn't have the California tiebreaker, this would be probably the best option. Right, because we don't we don't want to be a tie like that doesn't make sense. We we've got a way. This the the runner on second base in the tenth inning kind of solves all the problems. It's still team versus team. It's just kind of doing it. It's a performance enhancer, right? It's it's a run scoring enhancer. What about this idea that I heard on the Effectively Wild podcast? It, once we get to the tenth inning, instead of there being nine fielders. So I got this from Effectively Wild Podcast, another great baseball show that's out there. What if in the 10th inning, you removed a player from the field? So you only had eight defenders. This almost would do the same thing, right? Like what would be – or you could even choose. What if you chose, hey, I want the runner on second <laughs> base, or I want you to go without a player in the outfield. And so, I, hey, I got a 3-4-5 coming up in the order, or 2-3-4. So I don't need the runner on second base, but I'll take one less defender in the field. That would be, uh, again, it's quirky. It's not baseball, right? That's not something that baseball does. But you could squint and see, yeah, that would make for an interesting scenario. You know, I think that would be cool, and it would require a chess match. And yeah. I think that's part of the exciting part of, you know, especially – if let's say you banned the shift saying this has to be a pure left fielder in the left field zone that like you can't, I mean, maybe you can shade a little bit over, but you can't just play a left and right fielder in, in the gaps type of thing. Like you need to, that, I think that would require, you know, purely without a shortstop. All right. This is where we're going to be. We're going to try to get our scrappy guy on first base and then we're going to play without a shortstop. Like that's how we're going to set this up. Um, I think it would be cool if the opposing team got to decide which player was taken out. So, 
Rockies yeah. are throwing down, and you're able to say, I want him out of the team. Like, whoever the Dodger superstar is, whoever's the hot hitter at that point in time. I think that would be the essential way to do it, because that way you're not having Bud Black walking out to Jonathan Daza or Rymel Tapia saying, yeah, you're, you're kind of cold. Sorry, man. Like, I think that would kind of tear teams down, and I don't who think that would, would be the uplifting. Out of the game? If you're playing the Dodgers, who would – let's, let's reverse it. From the Rockies, <laughs> who would you want out of the game? Because – course you're probably going to think ah you know what hampson or hilliard in center a lot of range there yeah that would be the guy you'd want to go for but really wouldn't you if you're the opposing team say hey elias diaz you're out of the game garrett hampson you gotta learn how to play catcher <laughs> you gotta go catch yeah there so you, you almost go. could catch it right because that would be that's the obvious choice really yeah, well, and especially too. Let's say you already subbed a catcher out of the game earlier, and you know a team's depleted. Like you're gonna have, you're gonna end up having your bench coach that's just turning into just lineup scientists trying to figure out where can we just, what can we do to just piss them off the most. It's, I mean, I think you're gonna start seeing a lot of managers getting into it at that point in time too. We saw Kyle Freeland play right field a little bit last. That's right. There you season. go. So you see if they have they make left-handed catcher's mitts for him. See a Freeland suiting up behind the dish. There you go. <laughs> now is a good time to bring up the whole shift conversation because I think that's something that's going to be on its way. It is, you know, it's it's not organic like that that rule. Like I, a lot of the things that we're talking about might not necessarily be organic when it talk when it comes to rule changes, right? Because the the needs that are there, I, I would say the Buster Posey rule is organic because you say, yeah, we don't need. To these to have these collisions at home plate so that just makes sense right or even the bigger bag or the the second base over at first base it makes sense it might not look good aesthetically but you understand like oh yeah this this is very sensible to do that but the shift is now saying look managers you cannot manage your team the way you would like but the the hand has been forced here and i definitely think this is something that comes and again I, I can't see myself going to a game next year or in 2023 when, again, that's probably more likely when these things will, will happen after the CBA gets sorted out for the 2022 season. But I can't see myself going, oh, man, that base hit between first and second base would have been an out because Brendan Rodgers would have been in shallow right field and the shortstop would have been you know, playing second base. Oh, man, we, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't be begrudged of that because at least for most of my lifetime, that has been a hit. So, and it looks like a hit. And it, it feels like it's a hit. So, if you ban the shift, I, that's not the end of the world. Go ahead and do that. Yeah, and honestly, too, I mean, I think again, it's just a method of getting back to playing pure baseball. And I understand, you know, there's going to be, you're, maybe you're going to shade a little bit differently if there's a left-handed hitter at the plate. You're going to adjust it accordingly. I mean, that's part of the art of the game, and that's the way it is. I do know, again, if we go back to what the Arizona Fall League tested out a little bit, they had. They mandated that you needed to have two infielders on each side of second base, so very much standard. You couldn't put three on the right side when a heavy left-handed hitter is coming up to the plate. And then another wrinkle they put into it was all infielders had to have both feet on the dirt at every pitch. So you couldn't be playing in the shallow outfield, which that was something that, you know, when I started noticing you have these shortstops that are literally with their heels to the grass, and they were still pretty close to playing. I mean, it felt like they were playing in in many respects. And especially when guys are hitting the ball harder than they ever have. That was something that I guess personally I wasn't too fond of because I felt like it at a certain point started turning into kind of a safety risk when you're talking about how small the middle infielder gloves are and they don't even have the freedom to play back a little bit more. So I personally, I like the idea of having people on both sides of second base, force it to make sure that you got two infielders there. And I feel like that's a good enough way to normalize against, you know, you still have the creative freedom that, you know, you can play some percentages. This is where he most likely puts the ball in play. This is the way we're going to go off of it, and we're going to make it work this way. And, you know, at the same time, I think for pitcher statistics, it's really not fair if you're playing on a team that isn't as analytically advanced, for example. So let's say there's a team that, let's say fantasy big league team A just plays exactly straight up by the book, and an identical pitcher is playing for team B that is the equivalent to the Tampa Bay Rays and then some, let's just say they're putting everybody in the exact, they know where it's going to be. I don't necessarily think it's fair for a pitcher because, you know, it's not so much your fault that you're playing for one team that might not put their their infielders or their outfielders in the desirable spot type of thing. So I think that it's taking a lot of power out of the player's hands, especially out of the pitcher's hands, because 
your statistics should be a replication of yourself and it shouldn't be a replication of how good your team is putting them into defensive positioning. So as I, for one, too. Yes, exactly. Implications when you're going to arbitration and how much you might eventually make as a free agent. That's why that's one of the things in the lockouts is, Hey, we'll just, you don't have to go to arbitration to figure out how much you should make. We'll just plug it into to fan graphs, wins above replacement. And that's how much you made. But here's the thing. You told me where to play. And so therefore I didn't, have these statistics I maybe would have gotten with a different team. So in that, and that, that's what you mean when you say fair, right? Yeah. Like, hey, look, if you don't decide to do the shift, that's how you decided to go about it. But the statistics and for the individual players and for how much money they can make, that is absolutely not fair. Yes, absolutely. And then, I mean, just all kinds of different layers that go into it. I would venture to guess that if you're investing the money to know where to position players, you're probably investing the money in player development as well. So I think that if you ban the shift, you're making you're putting more power into players' hands because they don't get to decide where they get drafted. They don't get to decide where they're playing minor league ball. You have a very limited voice until you clear arbitration. You really don't have much of a choice where you're going to play. So, you know, it's not somebody's fault if they get drafted to a team that's a little bit like behind the curve if it's an analytical type of situation. And you're kind of just stuck on an island where you really it's it's tough to really believe in your operation if you don't feel like you're getting everything that you necessarily need. So I know this is we're taking this way further than it needs. Yeah, we're talking about simple shifts at this point in time. And now we're talking about what this could lead implication wise. But, you know, especially for players and especially for lower level players that may not have the voice that some of the more established guys do. I think the first step towards really normalizing for making people feel like they're taken care of is you know, really making the actual field of play even for the people that deserve for it to be even, you know, it's not your fault that you didn't get drafted to the Rays and don't get everything that those guys do type of thing. It should be a lot more of a level playing field. And we're starting to see, you're seeing these ideas start to normalize themselves, but I think that it's only continuing. If you keep enabling teams to keep taking these luxuries, it's only going to get presumably worse than it already is type of thing. So, you know, for those that really love just the absolute innovation of the game, they're probably not going to like when they're putting handcuffs on it if a rule like this does get put together. But, you know, at the same time, it shouldn't be at the expense of a player. They should be able to have the freedom to live their lives, to do what they need to do. And, you know, just because you're in one organization doesn't mean you should be privy to something that somebody else isn't type of thing. So I think there's a lot of power that can be had for the individual player. And I'm optimistic that something, you know, as simple as a shift, I think that could, I think that can put the keys in people's pockets. And I think that could be a good sign for a lot of people. And a lot of things attached to this concept of things being balanced and being fair, obviously leads into the automatic ball strike system, the ABS, electronic strike zone, robo umps, cyborgs, whatever it may be. <laughs> it's something that, again, if we're talking about the future of baseball in 25 years, I think it's something we can count on being around and how soon it, we see it in MLB. I don't think it's crazy to say that it's still five years away from being figured out. Like it's, it's being worked on, but there's a lot that's going to go into that in order to make sure that it is, is right. You're still going to need base ups. So it's not all robotic umpiring just at the, the strike just at home plate, obviously, with balls and strikes. Is, is that that one a slam dunk? Is that another one that you think is is going to be here in, in 25 years? You know, I, I think that's a no-brainer, like, honestly. Yeah. And people are trying to suggest, you know, maybe it's, it's pure. You know, you need an umpire back there. Well, we didn't. The, the same people that are saying no to this might be the same people that were saying no to instant replay type of thing. And I think we can all agree that, you know, maybe it takes a couple seconds longer, but – You'd rather make a couple extra seconds as opposed to make a completely wrong decision. So I think, you know, exactly. I don't think it's where it needs to be from a developmental standpoint quite yet. I think it's, of course, closer than it's ever been. And again, they tested it out in the fall league with Salt River Fields. I thought, you know, the product that they had and how instantaneous it went through, it was it was tremendous. And I mean, it was very good. Like I was impressed to see how cohesive it truly is. And I would even go as far as saying, you know, if Major League Baseball did implement it on opening day 2022, I think that it wouldn't cause much of an issue. I think it would be in a very good spot to be implemented. That doesn't mean it's going to be. That doesn't mean it's a flawless system, of course. But, you know, I think people are afraid of just the dependence of technology. And I think that's sole purpose. They're trying to suggest that it's taking, 
taking the personality, taking the human degree. I'm not even talking about the right and wrong human degree. It's just how, you know, a quality umpire, you got to earn certain calls behind home plate. Well, Clayton Kershaw should not have any luxuries as opposed to Carlos Estevez. And I'm fairly certain, you know, just by knowing who the pitcher is on the plate, it's not fair that these more established relievers are, you know, point being, if Nolan Ryan's in his final year of his career, and you're jamming him behind the behind the plate as the umpire. You're not gonna be able to. You're gonna be facing the music at the end of the day, and that's just because people are coming to see Nolan Ryan. He's as established as he is, but that's not exactly fair. And it's not exactly fair for the rookie player that, you know, let's say there's a Hall of Famer at the plate. You're making your MLB debut. Hall of Famers taking pitches that are borderline calls. You know, we need. I think it's only fair and only appropriate that you're taking the persuasion out of the game. You're just completely making sure this is like a concrete yes or no, and there's no bias that goes into it. I understand a good umpire. There isn't going to be any bias to begin with, but this takes the question completely out of it. So, again, you're trying to level the playing field. You're trying to make it fair for a lot of people. Some might say that there's an art of this game that you have to earn that respect and you earn that regard, but... You know, I know a lot of players that have earned a lot just to be able to get to the big leagues, and that doesn't mean that they, they, they should then be shorthanded. And that's also not to say that, you know, maybe some of the most established players in this game got a couple of favors early in their career to be able to build the confidence to where they were, as opposed to if they had a couple swings not go their way, they might have been a little bit more timid in their first year of their career. So that's, I realize, a whole different like can of worms that we can open up. But again, all you're trying to do is regulate it. You're trying to make it fair. You're trying to make it equal. And the people that deserve preferential treatment are the ones that earn that level of treatment. So I feel like this is, again, very much a no-brainer. I think that, you know, you're very much discrediting relief pitchers, too. I mean, if you say a starter is able to earn a certain pitch, maybe you're working into the seventh inning and you've just been living on that outer half. Maybe, all right, you've proven you can do it. You've proven that's where you want to go. Maybe we can go here. Well, then let's say you're ostracized to the bullpen. You can't exactly earn a call if you're only facing two or three hitters type of thing. So, again, we're going to try to create a comparison of starters and relievers. You've got an unequal comparison that exact way. And... You know, I again, my, my bias should shine through because the latter phases of my career, I was the reliever. I very much was. So I'll come clean on that, of course. But I think that in order to keep it fair, in order to keep it even, that's the only way to do it. I think that you're going to have to I think the umpires would be cool with it, too, because you're going to take the heat away from them. I mean, that seems like a no brainer. Also, you don't have to face a bunch of screaming fans. And if they boo at you, they're booing at a computer and not you. So. <laughs> I think that's definitely, I mean, if you had to convince somebody of an umpire change, it would probably be them more than anything. But, you know, at least everything that I've seen and especially seeing how good of a product it already is, I think that this is definitely on its way. And I don't think many people are going to take much exception to it once it does. The two interesting things I think about when I try to imagine a future with the ABS system, automatic ball strike, is that reliance on technology. And it, it made me think of there's an interesting podcast. I haven't gotten through all of it, but it's fun. It's, it's called The Rumor. I don't know if you've heard about this one, Justin. But it has a lot to do with Cal Ripken's streak and how the electricity went out spontaneously in Baltimore right in the middle of his streak when he was getting close to the record and why the electricity went out and the, the rumor to, to why that is. But it does make me think of some kind of sabotage where if you can find the ABS system room, you know, you pour a, a bottle of, of Dr. Pepper on it and, <laughs> you know, it goes haywire. And now you've got to use the human ump. But it also makes me think that, you know, let's say they, they put a good padlock uh, on this room. And, but it also makes me think in that world in which they've got the, the safety measures down so you can't tamper with it, there'll be a game in 2046 on the DNVR Rockies podcast on the DNVR Rockies podcast when we're talking about, oh, how about the ump game? That's what we call it, the ump game, because that was day for the first time in, you know, 18 years, a human being called balls and strikes. And it's just <laughs> called the ump game. They couldn't get it going. They had to play it. It was a postseason game, whatever it was, the ump game, where now, you know, there's a lot of those kind of ump games. But <laughs> that's, you know, that's the future that we are looking into and trying to predict. Like you know, I think that's, yeah, that's, it's funny. You, you just put together a great Buffalo Wild Wings commercial right there, of course. But um, I, 
I feel like that's definitely the kind of thing. It's funny to see, I guess, the more innovations that have happened over the course of sports. And, you know, in the immediacy of it all, we look at it going, this is normal. And then after the fact, we're like, look at how foreign this is. Like the NFL had the goalpost on the actual field in the early stages of professional football. And you go back to that area, you see that it's normal. You're used to it. That's the way it is. And of course, we look at old footage now and we're going, how silly is that really? Like whose idea was this to actually do that? So I think that it's very foreign to recognize, you know, we're going to look at how far this game has changed. But, you know, again, baseball in comparison to some of these other sports doesn't really have a whole lot of those changes like this. And I think it's pretty cool, especially, you know, you bring up that kind of proposition. Would Major League Baseball even come clean about it? Like you still have the guy, let's say you still have the verbal ball strike call behind home plate they just have the earpiece if it wasn't working on any given day would major league baseball need to tell anybody which is a whole and that's at that point you know you start have to really question the trustworthiness too because maybe you're going to need a representative from each team you have maybe your technology rep that you know the rockies are playing i don't know the giants or somebody like that maybe each team has somebody in a command center to make sure this is audible this is working exactly the way it is you need to checks and balances, almost like you need your own legal team to make sure that the technology is working the way it does. That's there's there's a lot that goes into it, which is really tough too, because then you have to worry, you have to wonder which team is potentially going to tamper with this. It's very much like the old the rumors of the NBA draft lottery. Did somebody tamper with the numbers, or is there something like this? I think that you're going to start. I believe that's part of the reason why some people are really averse to the technology side of it, because you can just throw stuff in a black box and hope that it's going to spit it back out. I think you really have to trust just the innate trustworthiness of the game itself. But, you know, at the same time, there's a couple bad calls that already have swung games significantly. And if all we can do is cut down on those a little bit, that's not to say the technology has to be flawless. It just has to be a little bit better than what we're used to. And I think that at that at that point, you know, it doesn't need to be a perfect system, even though in theory it's going to be perfect. But, you know, again, I think that there's a lot that can be swept under the rug, too. I think that's a big point of aversion. I think that's something that really deserves to be brought up. And, you know, ultimately, I think that's part of the reason people might not accept it as quickly as some other potential rule changes. It's very too bad that has to be a limiting factor because maybe that's just saying I have way too much faith in the world or something like that. But you know, I'm a believer. I believe there can be a lot of good that can come out of this. And I'm hopeful that, you know, Major League Baseball, assuming they use it the way that it's supposed to be used and assuming it does everything that it's supposed to do, I think there's a lot of upside in it. So hopefully, you know, I hope I'm not wrong as far as where it could be tampered with, but I'm optimistic. And I hope that I don't have any reason not to be optimistic anyways. We've got a bench coach. Coaches the bench, I guess. Oh, the player's on the bench, right? I'm being too little. <laughs> we have a bullpen coach. We now have the assistant hitting coach, two his assistant hitting coaches. Might as well have an IT coach. Working Man, you know, honestly. Making sure everything is right. Uh-oh, I got to run over to the other dugout to make sure their <laughs> stuff is okay so we don't get accused of tampering charges. Big thanks to Justin Wick for joining us on this great conversation. We'll bring you the second part next week. He's at Just Wick on Twitter. You can read all of his work over at Purple Row. I'm at Patrick D. Lyons. Follow all of our great Rockies content on Twitter at DNVR underscore Rockies. Remember, it's only 50 cents now for your first month on the DNVR.com to get all the great Rockies coverage, as well as the other four major sports teams here in Denver. CSU Rams, CU Buffs up there in Boulder. Check it out. Thank you again for listening in as always. So for DNVR Sports, he's Justin Wick. I'm Patrick Lyons. You know what they say, momentum is only as good as tomorrow's podcast. So we'll talk to you then.